Well, so excited to be with you back this morning. I, I missed you for a week. John was up and the sound went off. It was a perfect Sunday to miss. And uh, now back into, uh, uh, into God's Word. Working through the book of Ephesians, I encourage you to turn uh, there now. If you don't have a Bible, feel free to use one from the chair in front of you. We're in Ephesians 4, looking through verses 7 through 16 uh, this morning. If you don't own a Bible... I know I say this often, but I legit mean it. If you don't have a Bible, feel free to take one of those Bibles with you. If you uh, have been around for this series a bit, we've been working through just chapter by chapter, verse by verse, the, the text there. And then the first major section of Ephesians, we spent talking a lot about our new identity in Christ. If we've embraced Him as our Lord and Savior, things have changed drastically. We're in a new family. We're all united in that family. We're all having the Holy Spirit living inside of us and directing us some pretty awesome changes. Now in this next section of the book, uh, Paul changes a little bit of the, the direction of the conversation to start talking about what things look like on the other side of grace. On the other side of embracing Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, it's a little bit of the, so now what? And so those of us that are a little bit more practically minded and like the application, you're going to really like this section uh, that we're now going into. And this morning, looking and talking about what is expected of someone that's in the family. Someone that's in the, the family. If you're a Kegel, if you are in the Kegel household, there's certain expectations. My kids are very aware of these expectations. In fact, there's not a, an allowance that's distributed, but there are expectations for work to be done in the Kegel household. I don't know if you have that in your own household, if you have uh, kids, but on any given Saturday morning, you can show up in the Kegel household and you'll find Chase joyfully cleaning toilets. You'll find uh, uh, Alexa blissfully vacuuming the carpet and Sienna with a huge smile on her face, uh, t cleaning out the sinks and, and, and covering all the different cabinets in the, in the bathrooms. You know, they're all united perfectly and loving using their gifts. Not, not really, but it are, there are expectations of chores, if you will, uh, to be done in the Kaggle household, typically on Saturday mornings. I don't know if your Saturdays look like that. Now, if one of you were to show up at the Kegel household on a Saturday morning, most likely I wouldn't put you to work. You could sit back, you could enjoy yourself, you could even partake in my wife's wonderful blueberry chocolate chip pancakes that she makes consistently on Saturday morning. Am I making anybody hungry right now? Uh, we're placing orders afterwards. Um, but, but you, most likely, I, I wouldn't put you to work unless it became a pattern that you're there every Saturday morning for pancakes. And, and in fact, after a while, there might be a little bit, okay, you're, you're no longer a guest. You're part of the family. There's expectation that you roll up your sleeves and help out a bit, you need to clean a few toilets. You need to vacuum around the house because why? There's expectations within the family. If you parallel that to the church now, similarly, there's a little bit of a season of grace where you can come to the church and you can just enjoy the pancakes. But after a while, 
Paul's going to point to in the text this morning, there's an expectation that you start partaking in what I like Erica Reiser described them as church chores, parts of king, weekly kingdom responsibility that it takes to make all of this happen. And with great joy, I get to share with you from this text this morning because I believe it's critical to the life of the church that we get this, that there's an expectation for those of us who are in the family. But here's where the parallel kind of falls apart because chore is typically associated with like, ugh, I don't want to do that. I don't feel like doing that. But in God's loving kindness, and this is the cool part we're going to get to in the text, in God's loving kindness, the things that he calls us to do aren't chores because he's uniquely wired every single one of us with particular gifts, particular passions to do things that we genuinely enjoy, that we find satisfaction in. Do you guys have something that you do that other people think of as work, but to you it's like, I love doing that. I enjoy it. Anybody have something like that in your life that somebody else would look at it and be like, no, thank you. But when you do it, you're like, I I thoroughly, uh, my neighbors tease me because I regularly wash my car. In this area, it's it baffles me that most people don't wash their own cars. They take them to be washed. I'm like, why would you do that? You can wash it yourself, and it's enjoyable. But 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 somebody looks at me, and you're like, why would you do that? I'm like, because I kind of like cars. I enjoy it. It's refreshing. But other people would see that as work. You see, there's different things that we're wired up with. I don't know about the spiritual parallel there, but you get the idea there. There's certain things that we're wired up towards that God's given us a gift and a passion towards that he's then invited us to do within the body of Christ. Let me pray as we explore this passage. And I ask now that you would teach us, that you'd stretch us, that you'd grow us in this area, even as a church. And I'm so grateful for the foundation that we have at ABF of so many people that get this, that make this more than a church that we attend, but it is a, a, a a body that we're a part of. Pray that you'd stretch us, that you'd grow us, that you'd challenge us where we need to be challenged, where you'd encourage us, where we need to be encouraged, that you would be active and moving through this service, through the study of your word. We pray this in the strong name of Jesus Christ. Amen. So we'll start by working through this text and really just starting by looking at verse 7 uh, as we start that finding out that our gifts that we're giving are, are really an act of God's grace says this in verse 7, But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. If you remember in previous messages, we've kind of explored what does the word grace mean. You maybe are familiar with this definition of unmerited favor. Unmerited favor. Something that's given to you that you did nothing to deserve. That's God's grace. That's what we talk about often. It's a beautiful thing that God's given to us, even being in his son, demonstrated by his work on the cross, coming down to earth, living the perfect life, dying as a sacrifice for our sins. That's the reason we sing, the reason we celebrate on Sunday mornings. Grace, unmerited favor. But this is also grace in the fact that we're given gifts, not based on anything we've done. I don't know, those of you that are married in the room might remember the season of life where you're trying to identify who will be a good lifelong partner. 
Guys, remember those days, those of you that are married? Kind of an exhausting process because there's a, a little bit of like you're trying to identify strengths that they have now, but there's a little bit of forecasting for the future, you know? There's a little bit of, you, you, you meet the mom and you're like, oh, I don't know uh, how that's going to play out. You know, maybe I'm the only miserable person that thought through these things. Um, but, but there's a little bit of forecasting because why? Because you're assessing who you want to give your full and complete affection to for the remainder of your days. That's a big decision, right? But here's the awesome thing about our God. He operates differently. He didn't choose you based on anything positive. He didn't choose you based on anything you've done in the past, anything you're currently doing, or anything you even have the potential to do in the future. He solely chose you to be an object of his extreme mercy and magnificent grace. That's what you are. And so in that, the gifts that we're given isn't based on something that you're giving. You see it right here, that it's a gift of grace, by God's grace. And why is it considered grace? Sometimes you're just like, I would have rather just kind of skipped this whole thing of, of gifts and expectations but you think about, I even think about Solomon. What was his conclusion about life as he looked around, independent of doing anything of purpose? He said, you know, it's all meaningless. It's all a chasing after the wind. It's pointless apart from God choosing to include us in the bigger picture of doing things that have kingdom impact, eternal significance. He chose kindly to bestow gifts upon us. And not just some of us, notice there in the text, but grace was given to each one of us. So you can't say that you snuck by and you're like, sorry, I didn't, I didn't get any gifts. You know, that, 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 would be, that would be silly talk. I don't know if anybody here has ever taken a, a personality test. Anybody ever done one of those tests? Anybody know what I'm talking about when I describe a lion, an otter, a beaver, or a golden retriever. Do anybody know which one of those you are? Right? That, that, that test, some of you are like, what in the world is he talking about? Right? There's personality tests. Now, if you've never taken a personality test, you would never be as foolish as to say, well, I must not have a personality. No. Like, of course, that, that, would, be, that would be foolishness. And the same thing is true for those of us that are in Christ, for us with spiritual gifts. For you to say, I don't really think I have a gift. That would be insane. Just because you're unaware of what your gifts are doesn't mean that you don't have one. And we don't have permission to slide by and stay in ignorant bliss. 1 Corinthians 12.1, Paul says, Now concerning spiritual gifts, I do not want you to be uninformed. I do not want you to be uninformed. It's an expectation that we explore and unpack our gifts because they're intended, as we're going to discover here in a little bit, to be explored and used. I wanted to just give this resource just of a couple passages you can uh, look up just to give some summary of different spiritual gifts. These are unique abilities that God's given us for the purpose of building his church. You can read through some of those, maybe even on your in your own time, uh, if you want to explore that. I also invited the first service. If you want to shoot me an email, I can give you a, a spiritual gift inventory to help you explore kind of the way that God's wired you up uh, to exploring that idea. So anyway... Uh, gifts is the idea here, and our gifts are really 
an act of God's grace because he's choosing to give, it, give us something that gives us purpose and meaning for our existence here on earth. Second part, verse 8, how Christ won the right to give gifts. It says, therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who, who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. Anybody ever read a section of scripture and think to yourself, what in the world is that talking about? That, that, that's that section right there. Anybody just read that right now and say, like, I have no idea what he just said. I heard ascended, I heard descended, but I don't really know what it's talking about. Well, this is fun because we get to talk about that for a second and help make some sense out of it. Sound fair? Okay, so ascended, descended. The first he starts off, you see the quotation marks? He's actually in verse 8 quoting something from the psalmist back in Psalm 68, 18, which refers to victory practices of a conquering king. Victory practices of a conquering king. In other words, what is typical for a king that's conquered to do? Basically, the idea is this. A, victor, a victorious king or a conqueror would have some sort of a parade. One of the things that elements of that parade would have on display all the captives of his army that had been set free by his victory, by his victory. And this is just a, a, a cool picture. This is kind of like a thousand uh, foot view of kind of the, the gifts and how it all started because he earned the right to give out gifts. And in this parade, we are the displays of God's grace. We are the captives that have been set free. The other unique part of these parades was typically that would be the time where any of the things that were acquired, any of the possessions, any of the loot that had been acquired, would all be brought to the conquering king to add to their, what's the right word for that? Treasury, nice. Uh, the add to their treasury would be an expectation. But what's unique about our king that you see here in the text, and it says, and he gave gifts to men. So instead of just accumulating them, this is a new kind of king, does things completely different. Instead of just acquiring, because our God doesn't need to acquire anything, he chooses to give out gifts to his subject, which is pretty awesome. And he did all this because he earned the right. He describes it as ascending and descending. First, that picture of descending, descending into the lower regions of the earth, it describes there, and then ascending far above all the heavens. That's explained first in Philippians 2, 6 through 8, the idea of descending. And where does it say that he descended to? To earth. To us as earth dwellers, that doesn't seem like such a big deal. But to Almighty God, this is the picture who, describing Jesus Christ, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross." This is the display of the descended coming down, being amongst mankind, even letting us put him 
on a cruel Roman cross as a substitute for, uh, because of our sins. Substitute our place on that cruel Roman cross. This is painting the picture of the extreme depth that was brought then to the extreme height. We also see that described in Scripture in Mark 16, 19. When he says this, So then the Lord Jesus, after he had spoken to them, after he rose again, was taken up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. So from the lowest point, earth, to the highest point is to emphasize the extreme measures that were taken for this rescue plan of mankind. And the reason why he's qualified to do anything he wants with his gifts. He's like, I, I gained all of this, so now I'm choosing to bestow them on mankind. And we look at what's expected of those gifts in verse 11. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers, look at the reason he gave them, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. We're going to take a moment here in the service for a little second of confession. I want to see if in this room there's any other guilty re-gifters. Let me define what I mean by re-gifters. Somebody that acquires something in the form of a gift, decides they don't really want it, and saves it to give to someone else. Anybody confess to being guilty of ever doing that in this room? The rest of you lie. Here, 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 here's confession time. When my wife and I first got married, we got lots of gifts of things we didn't really care about. Either duplicates, now this is 18 years ago, either duplicates, right, things, uh, or things where people went rogue and went off the registry, Right? Like, that's, that's the worst. Stick with the registry. But, but, but really, all those items are just re-gifts, right? And so, and so, so this idea is, the, it, when you think of human gifting, there's things that you get that you're just like, ah, I don't feel that great. We had all of these things that instead of trying to return to the store, we stuck in a, in a closet, and then when weddings came up, true or false, right, Adrian? Or, yeah, confession time. <laughs> I didn't run this by her. Uh, but for the, like, the first couple years of our marriage, we we're like, okay, we got this wedding, wedding. What should we give? Look in the closet. What do we got left? And so we would give these different items away. And uh, I'm sure somebody's regifted. There, there's gifts, I think, that are out there that just kind of circulate to like 30, 40 people and started with the keggles. Uh, but, but, but here's the thing. There's a sense when we finally went in there and there's no more gifts to give, we're just like, shoot, what do we do now? We have to... You have to go to the store. You go to the store. Things are expensive when you're in ministry and making $22,000 a year. What do, you, what do you do? And there's a sense of panic because we like to re-gift. But here in this idea in the text is saying this is not something that's given to us that we have permission to re-gift. We can't ignore our gifts we can't pretend like we never got them. We can't say, you know, I think I'd like something a little bit different. I got the gift of service and I would prefer the gift of singing. You're like, no, it doesn't really work like that. God specifically gave us the gifts he's given and gave them in the measure, as we see there in the text, exactly the amount we needed for what he's called us to do. Exactly the amount that we needed for what he's called us to do. And that's an act of his grace. But it's not something that we're allowed to ignore or pass off. We're intended, 
And it's awesome that it describes us that there's certain people that are given to come alongside of us to compel us to use our gift. Do you see that in the text there? There's certain people with specifically provided to help equip us for the work of ministry. Describes them there in the text. It starts with apostles and prophets. We talked about them actually earlier in uh, the book of uh, uh, Ephesians in chapter 2 verse 20. The idea that there's a foundation that was laid for us. Uh, the, uh, the prophets would be those in the Old Testament that God revealed truth to. Really, our whole Old Testament is made up of the summary of God's revelation to different prophets. Then the apostles would be those who, Christ followers that lived during the time of Jesus. They compiled all of the New Testament, were indebted because of both the prophets and the apostles for finding and assembling this source of truth that we now have today. Then in the newer, in the more present, in the church age, you have the evangelists, shepherds, and teachers that have picked up the baton and then carried it into the present. Evangelist is someone that proclaims the good news of salvation through faith. Really, if you're here this morning, if you've ever embraced Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, it's most likely because of somebody that proclaimed Jesus Christ to you. Bring that person to mind right now. Probably somebody, maybe a mom, maybe a relative, maybe a friend, maybe somebody, a coworker, someone at some point proclaimed your need for a Savior. Something we should be grateful for. It's something that we can still be to other people. It's an awesome part of how the church works. It takes vocalizing, it takes verbalizing the good news of Jesus Christ. So you have the evangelist, you also have the pastor which is the person that the scripture describes as a shepherd that's responsible for caring, protecting, and leading. The word teacher there actually isn't a separate title. It's actually a description of what the pastor is primarily responsible for, the pastor in teaching. And if you think about even my role here at the church, one of the primary ways that I play the role of pastor is through teaching. Faithfully going verse by verse, uh, section by section through God's word saying, hey, consider this. Consider how this impacts your life, points people to truth for what reason? What reason do you see that? Because the idea is to move people towards personal ministry. That we're supposed to take this truth and say, huh, if that's true about me, Maybe I need to live this out. It's equipping the saints for the work of ministry. God it didn't intend for the pastors or teachers to do all of the work of ministry, although I have, uh, outside of this, I have my own personal ministry as well. But for you as the body of Christ to say, huh, this is the huddle where we come together, but then there's the intention for me to go out and be the ministers. You don't want me to do your ministry for me, for you. How awkward would that be if I show up at your work this week and I'm like, you know what? I just want to. I just want to speak on behalf of Tom. I, I'm here. I just want to tell you what he's been wanting to tell you for a really long time. There would be. It'd get really awkward. Bringing your pastor to work day would not go well. I mean, bring your kid to work, maybe, but Pat, like, that's weird. Same thing, like, sit across the table from your sister that you've wanted to have a conversation with for the last 10 years. That would be weird. You're called to be the ones that do the ministry. I'm just here, the bald guy, trying to cheer you on to do it. 
Here's the, that, that's the way God designed the church to operate. We're, you're to be the ministers that are out there. And really, if you think about it, that's the fun part. Who wants, to be, who wants to be the coach? I always feel bad for the coaches, right? They're stuck wearing the suits on the sidelines watching these awesome athletes. I watched Steve Kerr a little bit. You guys know Golden State? Any, anybody watch this team? Uh, really good basketball team. Steve Kerr used to play for a really good team called the Chicago Bulls. And in his season, he was a fantastic shooter, a key role player in, for, the, for the Bulls. Now he's stuck wearing suits telling other people all the cool stuff they should do on the court. I think out of that, in that scenario, who's got the better setup? Not the coach, the players. Similarly, for the body of Christ, I got the lousy job of cheering you guys, not lousy job, but you get the idea. I'm the one cheering people on to do the work. You get to be out there on the court, having fun, using the gifts that God's given you. That's God's design for how this works. And describes then the, the outcome of that, the building up of the body. The, the, when this happens, not just adding it numerically, but building them up, getting people rooted and grounded in the Word. Some of us bringing people in, some of us building and investing into them. The, the, the partnership there of the teacher and the evangelist is a beautiful thing that God designed for the church. And it ultimately has all kinds of effects on us. Look in verse 13, the outcome of using our gifts. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. What a cool verse there. You think about some of the things that it points to. It says, until we all attain. The idea is this, is there's expected outcomes of using our faith. You see some of them right there in that, that section. What are some of them? The unity of the faith. I'll tell you what, being here yesterday for the, the ladies' tea and getting kind of a, a bird's eye view and seeing everybody that was coming together to use their gifts. You saw some Pinterest crazy women that did these tables like to the, I, there's, let's be real, there's a little bit of competitiveness that comes out here in these, these tables. Uh, no one wants to admit it. No one wants to acknowledge it. Oh, we're just having a great time at the tea. But like, no, I mean, it's, it's legit competitive. And, uh, and I saw that firsthand yesterday. But people are bringing their gifts. Then you, got, then you got people that are preparing and coming up and speaking. You got, you got a harpist. What in the world do you do with a harpist? And uh, you, you, you got a little bit of everything. You got people behind the scenes that serving in the, the kitchen. And the thing that's cool about that is the bond that comes from everybody bringing their gifts, no pun intended, to the table. Everybody bringing their, their, their gifts, their talents, and the unity that comes from that is an awesome thing. There's the question every time after we do all the work to that, you're like, oh, is it, is it worth it? Like, that's a lot of work, man, oh, man. But I'm like, I'm like, you know, it's a beautiful bonding experience for everybody that's involved. And I think that on a larger scale is a picture of the church. There's a unity that comes. I'll tell you what, over the years, people that you've done ministry with faithfully, there's a bond like none other because why? You've rolled up your sleeves. You have a common cause, a common goal, a beautiful aspect of using our gifts is the unity that comes. And I would suggest if you're not, you're missing out on that part of the experience. The other thing it points to there is maturity. 
As we minister, we also grow in our knowledge of Christ, and there's a maturity that comes from that. As you start to walk down the same road that he walked down, you start to grow and mature and become more and more like him. When you serve others with your gifts, you're like, hey, that's kind of what Jesus did. That's how he spent his time, selflessly serving, using his gifts. And he had the full gamut of gifts all in one shot. But for us, the opportunity to mature, I would suggest that Bible study and prayer are only going to get you so far down the road of spiritual maturity that only the, that the employment of gifts can only take you the next stretch. The employment of gifts is the only thing that's going to take. If you're a sideline Christian, you're missing out on the full scope of God's intention for your growth and maturity. It says that you become the, the, the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. As we become more and more like Christ, we start to adopt his characteristics. One of the things in the Kegel household is we have this this thing that we measure the kid's height. I don't know if you guys have that. This is in our little laundry room there. And you can see uh, it's small there, but you see each color represents one of our kids. And uh, there, there's, uh, uh, there's right above that, you kind of have the, the height uh, that the kids are trying to get to is their parents' height, right? Uh, Adrian isn't as big of an accomplishment. Uh, no offense. <laughs> um, uh, but but there, it's so fun. I, I would say out of some of the things we own, this is one of my like personal favorites. Because it represents the watching my kids that they're kind of every season of their life, kind of growing and maturing and become more and more into, into adulthood. It's a, it's a beautiful thing that because what? There's something about growing and maturity that's part of God's design that, man, it would be sad to miss out on. Growing in the stature, the stature and the fullness of Christ. Each one of us, that's part of a, a maturing process. Look at this, verse 14, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. The idea of this is our maturing protects us from infancy, from acting like a child. We have pointed in Scripture to other places the, the joys of a childlike faith, but the intention isn't that we remain like children. We're intended to grow up. Infants are inquisitive, but not discerning. They're easily excited, but also easily exhausted. An untaught, uninvolved believers are susceptible, what do we see here in the text? To deceit. Any tough question sends them whirling. And the, the, the next book about whatever Da Vinci Code or whatever, and they're, oh, I'm confused. Was Jesus married? And, oh, the History Channel said this. Like, you, like there, there's all these things that send people so easily whirling because they're not grounded in truth. They're not rolling up their sleeves and active in ministry. One of the highlights of my role is, is when different missionaries are in town uh, that we support and serve with, I have the, the opportunity to go out with quite a few of them for, for meals, just sitting down. And one of the things that you never see is one of these faithful minister, uh, ministers that's out on the field, and they're just like, you know, I'm, I'm kind of doubting my faith, you know, I'm kind of whirling. I read this new book or this article, I saw this thing on the History Channel, like, that just doesn't happen. 
So when someone is weathered, when they've been down the road of service for years and years, there's a maturity and depth that comes from that. That's what he's inviting us into, that we become unshakable, not altered. Then the outcome of the, the, the opposite of being uh, altered and redirected and tossed is this, verse 15, rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, make note of that, making the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. I like the alternative to being shaken and, and swayed by the, the waves is this, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up. Rather than being swayed, we're to, we're to cling to the truth and that balance, that perfect balance that we're all looking for of truth and love that Jesus so perfectly walked the line is what we're invited to too. Because if there's too much truth, I'm sorry, yeah, if there's too much truth, then it can be harsh and damaging. If there's too much love, it's, we're soft and without substance, but we're invited to move towards a balance. And that balance, I would suggest based on this text, comes in part from faithful service. You have an understanding of, of people. You have an understanding of, of, of grace, of forgiveness. There's more patience because you're like, man, I've, I've walked down that road. I've, I've, I've gone a mile in those shoes. I, I understand where they're coming from. Grace and love becomes much more doable when we're exercising our gifts. When it's all coming and working in sync, it describes a, the picture too. It, it says, in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. It's not us trying to become our best version of ourselves, but we're moving more and more into him. In sync, when he moves, we move. When he steps, when we, we step. When he talks, we speak. That's the idea here. We become more and more connected to the body. These are all outcomes of faithfully ministering our gifts Verse 16, and we'll end with this. It says, When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Man, when we get this right, the body starts to take off. The, it, it starts to expand. It starts to grow in love. I, I don't know if you're aware of this. Some of the fun, we're in a real fun season of, of ministry here at ABF. Back in like October, November, we were... Um, I don't often talk about the numeric stuff, but this is kind of interesting. We were, we were at like 320 people coming to this church. Then one weekend in November, it jumped to like 420, and then it, it never went back down. So we like somewhere like 100 people started coming to our church. I don't really know who you are or where. No, actually, I know a lot of you. Uh, but but, but it, it was a real interesting stretch, and that's just been like how, how things have changed. But what it's done is it's created a little bit of crisis for our staff because you might not know this, but John Irwin and I are the only full-time people. and We got a lot of part-time people just running, barely keeping their heads on, keeping up with all of the things attached to the ministry here at the church. As I think about this in this text, I think this section of scripture is so key to the next season of ministry at this church. If God's going to keep expanding and building this and, and, and reaching this area with the love of Jesus Christ, guess what it's going to take? 
it's going to take a lot of folks to stop eating the pancakes and to roll up their sleeves and say, all right, I'm going to use my gifts. I'm going to bring that gift to the table. And I love, I'm already seeing signs of this. I just had lunch this, this past week with a gentleman in our church that's only been coming a couple months. And he's like, you know what, Scott? He's like, I'm real passionate about, about prison ministry. What would it look like if we started something in the church and rallied men around coming in and supporting some, some of these folks that have nobody else reaching out to them? And I said, well, that's a wonderful idea. Who's going to lead that? And uh, that, that's what, because every, everybody has great ideas that I should be doing. And, uh, <laughs> and, and, and so he says, well, I can lead that. I'll lead that. I'll, and I'm like, We're, it's in. We, guess what, guys? We got a new prison ministry. And, uh, and so, and so th- those, those kind of things, I think, is God's design. Look at the outcome. Makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. You see, again, we're not going to church. We are the church. And the more uh, that, that we engage and use our gifts, one, we grow in maturity, we grow in unity, we grow all of the things that we just discussed, all of these, those things, the outcome. But the beautiful thing is, it's building his body, his church, for his glory. All the spotlight gets to be put on him because guess who is the giver of those gifts? He is. It's all about him. So hopefully this morning, some of these things might have, maybe, this is a little of a poke message maybe, a little bit of a nudge, maybe an encouragement for maybe some folks that have been on the sideline. And what I'd suggest, I think that this is the best game in town, the church, the body of Christ. What else has the potential to redirect eternities? What else has the potential to rescue marriages? What else has the potential to build up kids to be followers of Jesus Christ the rest of their days? What else has the potential to redirect, change how people see things, how people view things? Man, I'll tell you what, we're in the business here of changing lives, and I would hate for anyone to not be a part of that. Let me pray for us. God, I thank you so much for this gift of grace that you've given us, that you've chosen not just to call us to church chores, but you've given each one of us passions, things that we're excited about, specific gifts that we have, strengths that just come naturally to us to use within the body. I love the system that you've put in place, and it can be an amazing thing when used properly. This church, I'm so thankful for the foundation that we have of so many people that have done that for years and years. We celebrate that this morning. But we also see and want more. Not for the sake of us saying, look, we have more, but for the sake of lives change, people impacted, people having a purpose and a mission to their day, to their involvement here. We thank you so much for your word this morning. We pray that it wouldn't just be for the person down the row. In Jesus Christ's name we pray, amen. Just a practical idea for a next step is one of the things I've noticed over the years is the best way to figure out what you're gifted at is to just roll up your sleeves and start doing stuff. 
And then you find out things that you're like, man, I hate that. That's clearly not a gift. Or, oh, man, I love that. That gives me life. And so I would love to see this next season within this church as a time of exploration. Figure out some things. Go serve in the nursery, right, Adrian? We take that in a second. Serve in Awana. Lots of different opportunities around our church to figure out how God's gifted you towards ministry. You're missing out, I would suggest, if not. Have a wonderful Sunday. As you're going out today, we do have our deacons fund. If you want to help some of the folks in our church that are in need, you can give towards that. Have a great Sunday.